Hello, Crossroads friends. Uh, I'm Phil Pippinger, and uh, this is another episode of Crossroads of East Tennessee, and we're going to be covering Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25 on this day, April 2nd, 2023, and it is 2.30 p.m., and so thank you for being with us and joining us as we study this, as we continue to study. Uh, let me take a few minutes to share with you what we are about and what we do with Crossroads of East Tennessee. We are a local community ministry here in Cleveland, Tennessee, and our work is among middle school and high school students, uh, ministering to them as far as discernment, of and being alert, sober-minded, knowing what you believe and what you believe, and how can you, um, you know, knowing what is good and what is evil, not just what's right and what's wrong, but knowing what is good and what is evil according to Scripture and how we look at that for our life. All these things, in turn, pointing people to Jesus Christ, what He did at the cross, His crucifixion. Uh, all of our sins, the sins of all of mankind fell on Christ and his resurrection gives us hope for eternity. Uh, we've studied Genesis 1 through 11 and we have, we have our lessons here on Spotify. We also have them on other outlets, but uh, please, please feel free to look at those and, and read those as I go through these passages. And I always tell everyone who listens to any of our lessons that we that I go over always search the scriptures with great eagerness enthusiasm be noble-minded as you study these things don't just take my word for it always go back to God's word and search it out and seek what God has to say as we go through these lessons now we're in Romans and and we are finishing up chapter four and we've talked about Paul as he's written this letter he talks about how the gospel how the you know the the good news is it's the power uh, of God uh, unto salvation to the Jew first to the Greek also, and in that he talks about how all of mankind knows God. They know there is the God. Uh, people have rejected Him, and so because there's there's this constant rebellion and rejection of God and recognizing that he's not worthy to worship. God has allowed people to go and do what they wish, hoping that they will turn in repentance and turn back to him. Uh, he talks about that, about from creation, we can recognize who God is, that there is a God, there's someone who put this together and it all is, is a general revelation and that it all speaks back and turns to specifically everything coming to Jesus Christ, everything. And the Old Testament talks about that in creation, in Genesis, and then the law shows us the law cannot save a man from God. It just shows the sin that is in a person and, and why, you know, Moses, uh, God made allowances for people to, for animal sacrifice, a lamb, uh, turtle doves, um, heifer, anything like this that was that blood was shed and it covered sin, but it didn't take away sin entirely. It didn't cancel the debt of sin. Uh, 
blood, animal sacrifice, blood from that only covered sin for a time. Then when Jesus came and he uttered the words, it is finished on the cross, his blood that was shed, it canceled sin right there. And so <clears throat> Paul talks about this as we go through Romans. He talks about the groups of people who have rejected the God and all that he's all that he's done and who he is from creation and how everything he's done points to Jesus Christ. Then he turns around and he shows that there's Jews that hey, the very things that you you want to condemn these people for who have rejected God at creation, you're practicing the very same sins that are talked about there at the end of chapter one. And so, so <clears throat> then Paul turns his attention in chapter three and he talks about how there is no one that is good, no, not even one. And then at toward the end, as he talks about these things, about there's it look, just when it looks like there's no hope for any man, all of a sudden he talks about the manifestation of righteousness that was proclaimed through the law and through the prophets, and it is in the God-man, Jesus Christ. You know, I've talked about this before. People ask all the time, they'll say, hey, Jesus lived a sinless life. I'm going to go a step further to say this. It's not only that Jesus lived a sinless life. There was no way in which he was going to sin. There was no way. There was nothing in his character about him that was going to cause him to sin. Now, he went through, they call it the temptation in Luke chapter 4, where the where Satan tempts him and asks him a series of questions. And, and Jesus says, hey, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I have read where scholars, um, and notably R.C. Sproul, and I think this gives a great definition and defense for who Jesus uh, was and how he lived on this earth. He had two natures. If we're going to say he was God, he was the God-man, and, and when we say in our creeds and our confessions of historic Christianity that that affirms and confirms the inerrancy and the infallibility of of the scriptures, then we have to say that Jesus was, he had two natures. He was fully human and he was fully God. Yet he knew no sin. He was never going to sin. Everything about him, my faith leads me to the understanding of that. I couldn't, I can't understand that to lead to my belief. I have to have faith to understand that. And, and, and I'm trusting God at his word. And so with all that said, we see in chapter four now, Paul turns his attention to showing us that it is faith. It is faith makes us right in the eyes of God. I'm trusting this. Now, that's not just verbal uh, assent to such claims, or it's not just mentally accepting those facts. It's, it's where a life is lived out with conviction and persuasion. Faith, if you look up faith in the Greek, it all is, it, it's equal to persuasion. I'm living this way because I'm persuaded this way. I'm going to live this way. My life is going to reflect Jesus Christ in my life. I'm not just going to, to affirm it by just saying yes to it. My life is going to reflect that in my speech and in, the, and in my life, my decisions that I make, 
how I treat my friends, my neighbors, my acquaintances, my family, everything is going to show that. And so Paul turns his attention to Abraham and he shows Abraham believed God and it was reckoned, reconciled to righteousness. And I'm going to talk about Abraham here at the end here of chapter four, verses 16 through 25. I think it's very, it has to be made clear here that that there that in the in scripture you would see Jesus come up against this kind of of conflict with people people would the Jews of that day they would say hey i am a i am a, a son of abraham i come from his seed i am one of i come of one of the 12 tribes of israel and jesus would say if you are a son of abraham you will do the deeds of abraham in other words, your life will reflect that because Abraham was about pursuing the God. He was all about pursuing God, being in covenant with him. Because the Lord approached Abraham with many, many uh, claims and, understand, and, and for him to understand that I'm going to make a great and mighty nation out of you. He's 75 years old. He has no children at this time, but yet God is saying, I'm going to make a great and mighty nation out of you. Abraham believed that, not understanding that it wasn't going to happen in a matter of a decade. It was going to happen over time. And 400 years later, it comes to fruition. There are two, now if you follow in Exodus, when Moses is writing those things and what's happening, there are two to four million Hebrews that that leave in the Exodus out of Egypt. According to archaeologists and scholars who have studied the Israelites and their occupation, or their, they, they weren't occupying, but they were living and they were enslaved under the empire of Egypt. Yet when they were coming out, and making their way to Canaan, the promised land that, that God had promised to Abraham, their forefather. There were two to four million people who came out. That is a nation, my friends. That is a nation. But you know what? Even with Abraham, Abraham didn't get it right. His life did not reflect godly living. And he made rash decisions many times. He, he made poor decisions many times. But yet God had called him and it was... God talks about this in Romans, about the gifts and calling of God. They're irrevocable. Once God has his plan for Abraham, which he did, it was going to come together. It's not us trying to make a plan work. It's God using us and, and uh, making that plan work even through us. Even though we're frail, we're weak, and we make poor decisions, God is going to drive us to the finish line. Paul even talks about this in our faith and how we should live for him and how there's perseverance involved. It's not us pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps, but it is, it is what Paul writes about. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it unto that day. That's what we're talking about in terms of perseverance. When God has his hand on you and he's moving you and directing you in a certain path that he has for you, it will be completed. It will be. And so we don't need to just give up at the first 
sign of struggle because maybe the Lord has a direction in which he wants to guide you and lead you through. Let's go ahead and start here in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 through 25. For this reason, it is by faith that it might be in accordance with grace in order that the promise may be certain to all descendants, not only to those who are of the law, Israel, Jews, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father, as it is written, a father of many nations have I made you. In the sight of him whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope against hope, he believed in order that he might become a father of many nations. According to that which had been spoken, so shall your descendants be. And without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body, now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, believing or giving, giving, giving glory to God and being fully assured that he, what he had promised, he was able to perform. Therefore, also it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was reckoned to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be reckoned as to, as to, as those who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who has he who was delivered up before our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. Many, many uh, generations later, Jesus Christ comes through Abraham's heritage and lineage. Incredible. Incredible if you think about it. As a matter of fact, we're going to look at some passages as we look at the story of Abraham and his life, and we see that, um, you know, there's, uh, there's many, many generations from Abraham to Jesus Christ, but it all comes together, and through it all, in Matthew chapter 1, and this, we can go, about, go through this later at a later date, but Matthew traces the ancestry from Abraham to Jesus Christ. Incredible. You know, we are so, in the Western world and in the U.S., we are really enamored with trying to find our genealogy, our testing our DNA, finding out our family history. So it means something to know where you came from. As a matter of fact, that's one of the four uh, belief system, belief statements that you have to hold to you, to yourself. Why do you believe the way you believe? For example, I have to know where I came from, where I am going, who gives purpose and meaning to life, and and also who gives who who is the moral lawgiver in life? Who decides what is right, what's wrong, what's good, and what's evil? You have to be able to defend that type of belief system. And everything. And I think it's really important when we find purpose and meaning in life, it's also tied to identity. And I'm going to tell you, friends, 
That is something that is good. That is a major question in our world today. That's why there's so much many people who, who are, who are ill content. I guess the word would be malcontent. Uh, they're dissatisfied. There's not any kind of fulfillment in their lives because at the root of it is finding what, where that is and where they should be. And so when we come to that reality, we start to realize that all of my content, contentment, when I find, when I see that it is in Jesus Christ and I receive that, then now all of a sudden everything else, I can deal with it. I can take it a lot better. So anyway, there's something to be said about this. When we, when we study scripture, we look at the Old Testament and all of the genealogies that are written there. And even here in Matthew chapter one, and we see these things, it is important to know where you came from and where you're going. And Abraham may not have known exactly what was happening from day one, but he was trusting the one who was guiding his compass. And that is the Lord the Lord. And, and he made a covenant, Yahweh, he made that covenant with Abraham. And so for what I've read to you in verse 16, for this reason, with everything we've talked about up to this point, have it to be brought into agreement with God, knowing that, that man's sin and the, and the perfect holy God that we have, how in the world are we going to have reconciliation with him? How can we be brought into agreement with him? For this reason, from what we've talked about here, God's gift, his grace is received by faith. And this promise that's talked about here in Romans chapter four, this promise is the promise of Abraham's the covenant here. And it's given to Jew and Gentile and it's, and both are, are receiving it by faith. And again, the word faith here, as we look at this, and it's talked about here in chapter four, being made right by faith. Faith is being persuaded. It's We are confident in a divine truth. It comes from God Almighty. We're trusting him as that's brought together here. Now, let's look at Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 3 and verse 7. When we look at this, it says here, it says that now the Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. There it is. All the families of the earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ, the coming Messiah. Verse seven, and the Lord appeared to Abram and said to your descendants, I will give you this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Hey, he was trusting the Lord. He's already left. His, his, uh, he's, his wife, Sarah, childless, his nephew, Lot, and his father, Terah. They come, they come from the Ur of the Chaldees, which is present day, 
down toward the mouth of the um, where the Tigris and Euphrates River. Uh, they are down in the um, they are down in the uh, the kind of like the Persian Gulf, and and so uh, uh, we see that uh, that's where they live. And that's where it would be present day uh, Iraq and the border of Iran right there, kind of in that south southern part. And that's where they were traveling. They were taking the Tigris and Euphrates rivers. They were going north up into what would be known as Turkey or Syria uh, present day. And they're there. And so they're just trusting the Lord on this. Now, he is 75 years old at this time. Sarah is 65. His name Abram means exalted father. And so, um, um, you know, the, here, here's the thing, you, you know, he's 75 and his name is Abram, meaning exalted father. Uh, and descendants, basically, we get the word sperm or life comes from that. Uh, an everlasting generation is what this is pointing toward when we see this. So as we are looking at this and studying this, this is where all this begins right here in, in Genesis chapter 12. As we look at Genesis chapter 15, we see that uh, verses four through six, it says that the, then the Lord, then behold, the word of the of the Lord came to him saying, this man will not be your heir, but one shall come forth from your own body and he shall be your heir. Now here's, here's what's happening here. The God is, God is promising a son and Abram is, Abram is starting to kind of weaken a little bit. And he says, Hey, how about my servant Eleazar of Damascus? He's a noble man. He's an honorable man. How about him? And he says, no, this is going to be one that's going to come from your loins. In other words, he's going to be a son through your wife, Sarah. And then he says, and he took him outside and said, now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you are able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. You ever looked out on a starry night? You can't keep up with the numbers of stars that there are. You'll get a headache trying to count them. They're numerous, innumerable. It's, a inf it's like infinity. And then in verse 6 of Genesis 15, then he, Abraham, he believed, firm persuasion, convinced, confident in divine truth, faith. He believed in the Lord and he, the Lord, he, capital H, E, reckoned it to him as righteousness. There it is. There it is. He's, he's, he recognizes that. And the Lord receives him because, hey, he's trusting him at this point in time. And he says, hey, I'm the one who brought you out of the earth of Chaldees. And, and I'm going to give you this land and you, you are to possess it. And so he, he goes on and he, he has a covenant with him. He makes this covenant and if, if you read the rest of this passage, I can't go into it, but he, he, he brings these animals together. He, he, he sacrifices them, split them in half. And then we see where the Lord as a flaming torch passes through there, through that while an Abraham or Abram, if staying with the storyline here, Abram 
he follows that and he sees that. He sees the Lord confirming this. But it's all about the Lord making this covenant. He's just asking Abram to trust him. Believe in me. Just trust me. Have faith in me. Follow what I'm having to say to you. And then in verse 18 of Genesis 15, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants, I have given this land from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. He talks about that. That's a, that's quite a big portion of land and territory that's taking place here. And the Lord is confirming it. He's speaking with authority. I have given this land. It is coming to you. Don't worry. It is coming to you. Now, he doesn't set a timeline or a timetable, but this is what he is setting up for Abraham. Now, look at chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. Now, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will establish my covenant between me and you, and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer will your name be called Abram, exalted father, is what that means, but your name shall be Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations, people from every tongue and tribe and nation will come from you and believe and call upon the name of the Lord. Your name shall be Abraham, for I will make you the father of a multitude of nations, and I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. Yeah, we see that right there. Now, see, he's, it's being confirmed right here, this covenant that's taking place here. That is what uh, we see with Abraham. And Abraham believes he's trusting the Lord. Now, along the way, Abraham has lied about his wife, Sarah. Now, they come from the same father, two different mothers, but the same father. So technically they are sisters and we can argue and, and debate about these things. Oh, look at this in the old Testament, but this is the way it was right here. But, and so he would say, sometimes they'd come upon like Egyptians or Philistines. And he'd say, Abraham said, Hey, you tell them that I am your brother. Because if he was there, if, if they were husband and wife and make that announcement, he was fearful of his life. Again, trusting the Lord, trusting the Lord. He's made this, this, this proclamation. He's made this prophecy. I think it's a prophecy. And he says, hey, I'm going to make a great and mighty nation from you. The Lord is faithful to see his plan through. But we see that Abraham, along the way and in his life, he, he fell short. He had weaknesses and he had frailties. And there were some consequences for that. And there were people that... that uh, that paid for those consequences. If you look at, now he's 99 years old. In Genesis 20, uh, 21, we see verses one through five. Sarah is 90 and and we see that, that he, uh, she's 90. Abraham is 100. Now there's already been a proclamation when, when Abraham was 99 Hey, your son's going to be born next spring. Well, guess what? It's next spring, Genesis 21. Then the Lord took note of Sarah, 
as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son and he was born to him and whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac, one who means laughter. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now, Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. Right there, we see that. We see that coming about. That's the only son that he had with Sarah. But Abraham had many other sons after that with a, with a wife that he had, had after he was a widower. He had took on another wife and he had other sons. But Isaac is the covenant son. And then Isaac would have Jacob as, he, as, as his son. He was the covenant. And Jacob would have 12 sons who would later become the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to pick it up here in just a little bit here. We're going to talk about and talk through uh Genesis chapter 22 here in just a little bit because uh and and I'm going to talk about some of the things that that Abraham where he fell short and and so um uh I think it I think it's very um I think it's very interesting we see that God has chosen Abraham and he's received it he's been faithful that's not to say that his life has not had some frailties and weaknesses along the way and I believe it's true as we talk through this, as we pick this up on the other side here in just a few minutes, I'm going to stop recording here in just a second, but think about some things about where you're at with your life and where you're going and what God has for you.